What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 64. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Oh, did you hear that? Uh, you know what time it is. It is episode 64. And <laughs> I, I know we're playing a little bit fast and loose with our Nintendo nonsense, but uh, Nintendo 64, GameCube, basically the same thing, right? So, folks listening, Ben typically works on our show notes, and I saw the sheet with the title, and it took till this very moment for me to actually get the joke. So, Game Cube! We're talking about the game, and we're also talking about the cube. <laughs> I, I can't believe you. I, I can believe you. I, know, I should know better at this point, but I just don't. I can't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is episode 64. We're going to be talking about the game. We're going to be talking about the cube. And by the cube, I think we're talking about Tinker's Cube, but maybe we've got some other stuff on the docket as well. Basically, just our thoughts on the game right now, some of the different things that have been coming up, and Tinker's Cube, which is kind of the newest thing on Arena. So we'll talk about that. But before we do, of course, we do have our usual housekeeping. Check out the Discord if you haven't already. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on the Twitter page. And we are trying to do all we can to make the Discord a super fun, friendly place to be. So definitely check that out. It's great. With all the spoiler stuff that's been out lately, we've really been having fun talking about the different cards that have been getting spoiled and and things of that nature. You can also give us feedback on the show there. That's kind of the best place for that as well. And discuss trophy decks, what's the picks, all sorts of that kind of thing as well over there. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. Again, the link is in the episode description. And if you want to support the show, the best place to do that is on the Patreon at, at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us week in and week out. We have perks over there, including stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show with post and pre-show banter. We've got our Draft Chaff hero cards signed by us and sent to all patrons. And we also just recently added the new Draft Doctor perk for, for the Squadron Hawk tier. So check that out. If you're interested, again, that's at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. That's right. And again, because it's kind of new, Draft Doctor, basically you just send us a 17 lands file. We do a full 100% breakdown of it. We take a look at your picks, leave some notes, maybe share alternate picks, share what we would have done in your situation, in your seat, uh, and then build the deck at the end. And then uh, we're going to upload those things onto YouTube. So we're excited to get started with it. So those that are Draft Doctor tier, uh, start, start sending some of those our way and uh, keep an eye out for that delicious YouTube content coming soon. All right, we've got a crack and draft type thing here. Looks like it's a Tinkerer's Cube pack one, pick one. Why don't you walk us through it, Ben? Right, so we've got a lot of updates to the Tinkerer's Cube since last time. It looks almost unrecognizable, and I love it. So first up, we've got Seize the Spoils. That's the uh, sorcery, discard, draw, rummage stuff, and it gives you some treasure, whatever. Next up, Introduction to Prophecy. So this is three generic. It's a lesson. Hasn't been too long since we've had these, right? Scry two, draw a card. So that's right. They added Lesson Learn to Tinkerer's Cube. Now, I love this choice. I love having a Lesson Learn package. And I noticed they actually run multiples of a few of them. I'm not sure if there's multiples of Intro to Prophecy. I definitely knew uh, Environmental Sciences. I've seen multiple Environmental Sciences in different packs. So I really like that as kind of like a cube approach. Kind of adds a lot of smoothing to it. Makes sure you're always going to hit your mana. Makes sure you can splash for all sorts of nonsense. So it's not a singleton cube anymore. No, no. At least not with regards to that. It, unless I'm losing my mind, but I'm pretty sure I saw multiple copies of environmental sciences going around. 
Next up, we've got Sir Conrad the Grim. Bit of a throwback. That's the five mana five for uh, Black Knight from Eldraine, where basically whenever anything happens, you ping your opponent for one. <laughs> Creature dying or leaving the graveyard or getting put into the graveyard or something else, and then you can use him to mill yourself. Sorry, each player. And you're starting to see there's some weird cards in this cube. This is a strange assortment. This isn't like the usual arena cube where it's just kind of these power level decks with some light synergy thrown between and you're beating each other down. You can play mono red aggro, mono white aggro, green ramp with a bunch of mana dorks, or like that five color deck that comes around with Niv-Mizzet or what have you. No, this is a this is a weird cube. And we'll talk more about it in depth later in the uh, cube section of the show. But I really like it. A bit of a spoiler now. You really want to look for cards that are synergistic and have a strong vector in a very weird direction, if that makes sense. So if you find a card that seems really strong in a specific deck, just take it and then build around it. I think this more as a build around cube where you want to look for two card interactions and kind of just maximize the number of two card interactions you have along the same vector until eventually you have a pretty deep deck where uh, you've committed pretty hard to a theme. You might have like three or four, four or five mana enchantments that just don't affect the board. But that's actually a really effective way to win the game from what I've seen. Speaking of <laughs> enchantments that can sit around gathering value, you're going to want a way to blow those up. So next up is Rex Sage, Reclamation Sage, 2 green for a 2-1 ETB destroy an artifact or enchantment. This is a very high pick. I've first picked this before, but it's not our first pick here. It's definitely my pick so far, though. Next up, we've got Path of the World Tree. That's the one of the green five color enchantment goes and gets a land and you can pay seven, including Wooburg to do a whole bunch of little cute things. I played it. It's actually pretty fun if you can get it to go off. One time I activated it off of uh, seven treasures, which was pretty convenient. Thanks to, to my buddy old Gnawbone. Next is Oketra's Attendant. This is three white white for a three three with flying, cycling two and embalm three white white. So this is a cycling sub theme, although I believe it's mostly in blue and black. I guess there's some white cards with it, but eh, I don't know. Th th this card's fine. It's a 3-3 flyer. Next up is Murmuring Mystic. Four mana for a 1-5, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, create a 1-1 blue bird illusion token. Now, I have found that going wide is the best thing to do in this format. There are a few wraths, and when they are wraths, they're good ones. I think the one blows up all non-land permanents, maybe two of them. It's some sort of end hostilities effect where just it wipes everything clean. So if you happen to have those, you can make a control deck, but besides that, control decks don't really exist in this format. It's pretty much just trying to do your thing faster than your opponent does their thing. And going wide is a good thing to be doing. So remember Mystic is an option, but I haven't liked Spellslinger decks that much in this set. Next up, Cradle of Baldur's Gate. Blue, black for 1-3. Uh, we just saw this thing in AFR. It's whatever. I, I don't like this card. I will never pick it unless I'm like deep into blue, black already. This just isn't how I like to play Magic. And <laughs> Arena Cubes are all about playing the way you want to, including Tinkerers. Next up is Intrepid Outlander. This is one in a green for a 2-3 with Reach. Just a good body, but it's not very strong along any particular vector. This isn't the kind of card you want highly, even though it was a pretty good pick in AFR. Next, Barricade Breaker. We haven't seen this one in a while. I think this is from Kaladesh. Seven mana for a 7-5 Improvise, and it attacks each combat if able. So uh, it's, uh, it's kind of like Convoke. <laughs> But it's fine. There's some artifact decks that can go pretty hard, but things that don't have any kind of end of the battlefield value are pretty low for me in this cube. Next is Temple Garden. It's the green-white Shockland. Dual lands are pretty high picks, as always, in this format, and uh, you can be pretty happy taking a green one early especially. 
I also believe white is the strongest color in the cube. Green white, I've been a big fan of in particular. So Temple Garden is a very high pick for me. However, can do even better. We're getting to our last few cards here. Of course, there's no you know, common or uncommon or rare breakdown. We just got a few left. Thrix the Sudden Storm. It's three blue blue for a four or five flash flying. Spells you control with CMC five or greater cost one less and can't be countered. So something kind of weird about this set. Blue green has a big cast sub theme where there's a few different spells that rewards you for casting big things like spells with CMC four or greater or CMC five or greater. And it's weird that because some care about four, some care about five. I think the snapping turtle, the four mana four, four from Eldraine is in this. And there's a new one from, I think it was modern horizons. I want to say Brea's sculptor or something like that. Whenever you cast a big spell, you make a thopter. So the, it's the blue green theme. I haven't found it particularly convincing. Second to last, we have Argul's Bloodfast. That's one of the black for a legendary enchantment. You can pay one of the black and two life to draw a card. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have five or more life, it flips into a land that lets you, was it like sack a creature to gain life or something or tap to add mana to your life total or something? I forget. It's not important. <laughs> this, this is not where you want to be at all in this particular cube. And last but not least, what I believe to be the correct pick is Shadric's Silver Quill. So this is three white black for a two five flying double strike at the beginning of combat on your turn you pick one of these three things for each player and those three things are one person gets to make a two one flyer one person gets to put a one one counter on each creature they control and someone else loses a life and draws a card and you pick how uh, one person gets one thing one person gets the other third one goes unused just saw this one back in strixhaven i believe this is the pick here i've had a lot of success with shadrick silver quill I found that making a token can be useful, especially because there's several token doublers in this set, which is a lot of fun. There's some token synergy too. And going wide is a very good way to win the game in this set. Putting a counter on each of your tokens that you've made, whether they're flyers or 2-2 bears or whatever you've got laying around. And then I also have found it pretty effective to just draw some cards in the late game off this thing and give your opponent like... I don't know. Sometimes your opponent will have only one or two creatures on board. Just give them some counters and draw a card. doesn't matter. <laughs> it's whatever. You can usually leverage this and break the synergy based on whatever you're doing in, in your game plan. It's a little bit win more, but also the fact that it's a 2-5 flying double strike, absolutely huge. Like I said, I've had a lot of success with Shadrix, and uh, it's been an MVP in several of my trophy decks. So what do you think? What are you taking? I mean, I definitely eye up that Murmuring Mystic a little bit. It's a, a very <laughs> me card and one of my favorites from that set in particular. But yeah, Shadrix is just bonkers good. And I think, I mean, I, I'm the Tinker's Cube is one that I'm less familiar with overall. I think this is probably the cube that I've drafted the least as far as Arena is concerned. So I, I don't know exactly where it fits, but I have seen a lot of folks talking about how good white is in this format and slamming a Mythic that is in white and already just has a ton of upside, like... I don't think you can really go wrong. A lot of these other cards that we're looking at are relatively niche, which you you know you made the claim that that's kind of where you want to be in the first place. But Shadrix just plays into the go wide thing, so you're kind of beating out Murmuring Mystic in that way already, and you know it, it just seems on its own to be much better than a lot of these other cards. Mm -hmm. Pretty often, I would give my opponent just the card, and uh, <laughs> just because putting a one one counter on five six token creatures is just worth a card so at that point you're breaking the symmetry with shadrix just because you're kind of getting that effect for free every turn while putting an extra card in their hand for their i don't know i, I guess uh having some experience with going deep on nonsense decks is pretty useful here because i've tended to find that uh, my opponents are sometimes doing some nonsense uh that doesn't work <laughs> whereas if you start picking these little two card synergies or just 
high value cards like Shadrix, your decks will come together and they do work in fun ways. All right, with that, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is a section of the show where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, what you got? Oh, man, I've got a big one. Tomorrow, I start teaching again. I've had all summer to just relax and chill and do nothing but play magic. Now, things are starting back up, and uh, I'm back to work. So, I guess when this episode releases, I'll have started yesterday. So, hop in the Discord, <laughs> ask me how it's going. Uh, we've got a bunch of other teachers in there. I'd love to swap some first week of school stories, because I'm sure we've all got a bunch. It's just that lifestyle, you know? If you do something else for work, love to hear about that, too. I want to hear some some wacky work stories from <laughs> whatever it is that you do. Anyway, this is both my Teferi and my Tibble, because... Uh, it's exciting. I'm ready to meet a bunch of new students. I stayed after school for two hours today, setting up my classroom, and we had training all day, but I still couldn't get it all done. And after we're done recording, I'm I'm going to hop right back on my prep train, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, there's all that. Plus, I'm excited that we have a fantastic set about to uh, come out. I'm also excited that apparently we're going to get to do one of our favorite limited experiences, which is two-headed giant draft. We have a local game store that's offering that. And we already called them like, all right, get us in here. <laughs> we can't miss this one. Small correction. It's not draft. It is. It's a sealed pre-release. But all right. we're yeah, going yeah, to be yeah. doing that. And I know at least one of our listeners has mm. gone to the store that we go to when we're when we're doing these things. So uh, we may have been kind of destroyed the last time we played this particular listener. I don't think that's going to happen this time around if we haven't run into you. Just, just throwing <laughs> that out there. So, uh, you know, you know who you are and uh, can't wait to see you there. <laughs> hopefully yeah find a friend and then uh prepare to lose so anyway anyway uh, enough <laughs> bullying our listener base <laughs> Uh, uh, my tipple is also that school starts this week. I really did enjoy having a summer to just kind of relax and, and not think about perils of teaching during a pandemic. But uh, I don't know. I'll get back into it. I've got a lot of preparation to do. I'll get used to it, but it couldn't be timed worse with a, a fantastic magic set coming out. Where am I supposed to play it? I don't get good service in my school to play on my lunch break or anything. There you go. Yeah, that does kind of suck. I guess uh, you're going to have to put those in after hours or something. Put those drafts in after hours. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so for me this week, my Teferi is that, well, spoiler season is in full swing, and I am absolutely loving it. We talked a little bit last week about how Innistrad's creeping up in my my tier list of best planes, and more so than Shadows over Innistrad, this set feels like a true return to Innistrad from what we've seen so far. It is super gothic horror, somewhat like Flesh Taker, like some of these cards that they're showing us are just like, whoa, alright, alright, wizards, we see... See what you're doing. I'm really excited to see how that carries into Crimson Vow, because I think Crimson Vow also has the chance to be very Innistrati in the way that it handles its its flavor and such. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes, as well as the story. Uh, I, I'm not up to date on the story just yet with Midnight Hunt, but I have read the first of the, the little novelettes, I guess, online and... and the first one was quite good, so I'm, I'm excited for the rest of them. The move is also in full swing. I mentioned last week that I'm starting to move. We have been moving for the last week or so, but we have a lot of time to move. But this is the week that we're trying to get everything moved over to the new apartment. So we're kind of in uh, crunch mode. We've got a ton of stuff coming in the mail and trying to juggle like, oh, all this stuff got delivered at the new apartment. So I got to swing over there in the middle of the workday to make sure that it doesn't get stolen or whatever and put in the apartment and then a lot of back and forth but hopefully uh we're wrapping that up this weekend and uh won't have to deal with that anymore and then this very well could be the last episode we record in my current quote-unquote office space i say that that way because my office quote-unquote is in my bedroom at the moment 
And uh, in the new apartment, I will have a dedicated office. And I'm going to sound treat it and all that. So hopefully it'll sound much nicer and much more uh, professional, I suppose, for my end. So that'll be that'll be really fun. I'm really excited about setting up the office and kind of getting to do what I've wanted to do for a personal office space for a long time, finally getting to do that. So really excited about that. My tip this week is that I've been kind of swamped at work, putting in extra hours in the last couple of days and not something that I tend to like to do. I mean, who does? But I'm a little behind on the project I'm on and really trying to make that up and, and try to catch up there and deliver as best I can. So yeah, that about does it for me. On to our listener question of the week. Before you do, I, I wanted to say just because Zach is upgrading his sound suite doesn't mean I will. So don't worry, you can still expect the same mediocre quality audio from me as always. Uh, All right, now we can get on to the listener question. So uh, it's from Wolverine this week. What is the best advice or resource you would give a newcomer to Magic to get an understanding of all the different formats Magic has? I find it incredibly difficult to understand why there had to be so many. How do I know which one I want to play or invest in? Great question. Fantastic question, and not necessarily an easy one to answer. I can give you sort of what I did when I first started playing. And what I've continued to do now that I'm a more enfranchised player. For me, when I started, I started as a little kid, so I didn't really have the opportunity to jump into a lot of formats. It was basically like pick up a couple of packs every every month, basically, and just maybe a starter deck or two and just jam with the random people around that I had to play with. And then, of course, you know, draft helps with that. I wasn't drafting at the time, but it does help kind of pick up cards and as you continue to draft if you draft a lot you might end up with enough cards to make a standard deck or something like that so you don't have to necessarily invest in that and arena has changed that game a lot as well but really i think you kind of hit the nail on the head there there are a lot of formats in magic and a lot of them aren't even supported by watsi directly but we've had a ton of formats pop up frontier was one a while ago which some folks might not even know about but that was like kind of what turned into pioneer and so there are a lot of formats and there are kind of three different types of formats when you really boil them down there are 60 card formats 40 card formats and 100 card formats right you have commander all the different 60 card stuff and then limited and the 60 card stuff is where things really start to get kind of dicey and figuring out like well do I play Legacy or do I play Vintage or do I play Modern or do I play Pioneer or do I play Standard or, you know, all these other things. And then if you want to play on Arena, you have a Historic to worry about. And so there's all those 60 card formats. And I think the best way to think through that is if you want to play one of those 60 card formats, find a deck that you really like that can kind of permeate and looks relatively similar throughout all of those formats. And then you really only have to buy one deck and you can adjust like a handful of cards between all the formats. Now, moving from something like pioneer to vintage it's going to be drastically different even if it's the same deck quote unquote right so maybe don't do that but maybe vintage is already too expensive so that's off the table so what i would say is find a deck that you find really really fun in a given format see what how it plays around in that in like the matchups in that format and then kind of cut out other formats you know, whether it's vintage and legacy because they're too expensive, you just don't want to spend that kind of money. Well, okay, now you you cut two formats out of the list. Do you have a lot of fun playing commander? Maybe you will just want to focus on commander. So that's kind of the way I handle it. And I don't know that that's necessarily a great answer, but that that's, that's kind of what I've got. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I think you covered a lot of the good points. Another metric that you could use is level of experience required. So limited, I think, is a great way to introduce players to magic because they don't need to bring anything. <laughs> and uh, if if they uh, are interested in th- listening to some things they could bring, they can listen to a good uh, 
I, I, do you know of any any shows that did like a how to draft in in person show recently? Never mind, I can't think of any. So they could just draft stuff and start building their card base from that. They could pick up some of the draft draft laying around and all that sort of thing. And then oh, I found that commander precons are a pretty great gateway into the commander format. A lot of them are really good. These precons can hold their own against like actual $500, $800 commander decks. We're not talking like competitive commander because uh, I don't know that, that, that stuff scares me. I, I get, I get worried when I see like a yes in the wanderer bard or whatever's going on across the table. Uh, I'm, I'm here for Bruna, my six drop commanders. That's where I like to play. But anyway, I think it also it scales up as you get into some of the more difficult to approach formats. So something like legacy or vintage, I mean, sure the cards are older and more expensive, but at the same time, you just have more complex interactions going on. Like, I, I couldn't tell you exactly how the, what is it, Charbelcher? I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head exactly how that deck wins. <laughs> like, I know it has Belcher involved. I forget what the card does. But, but I'd have to go and study that. You don't usually have to go and study for, like, a limited tournament. It's useful to do so. But you don't need to know, like, the, the diehard meta or anything. You don't need to know every single bizarre, like, thing that you should cast Force of Will on or what you shouldn't cast Force of Will on. You just don't need to know all that stuff. So I think that makes formats like Limited and Commander a little more approachable. And then Standard also kind of bridges into them because it contains a lot of the cards from Standard. I actually, I'm hoping to do a full episode about this sometime. I found that Limited and Commander play really well together. Commander requires you to have a lot of, like, singleton copies of good cards. You know what I like taking during drafts? <laughs> Single copies of, of good cards. So if you draft in paper enough, you wind up with a lot of these, you know, cards that are good in Commander. I mean, that one legend that you had a blast playing in, in your draft deck... Just make a commander deck around it. And the more you draft, the more you accumulate this stuff. You can start trading away some of the big things you you open that maybe you you just rare drafted or whatever. And eventually you can build yourself a pretty solid collection. And from there, you can kind of just move it around as you see fit. Every once in a while, I do buy into like a standard or modern deck that I love just because I want to. Currently, I'm building Black White Stone Blade. It's taking a, a while <laughs> to, to get all the pieces together. Uh, I'm kind of glad I waited. Uh, prices have dropped quite a bit on this stuff. But anyway, I, I recommend starting with the more approachable formats. Draft, Commander, maybe some casual 60-card decks if you just find like a theme you really like. Something that wouldn't be standard competitive or maybe even modern competitive. But just like a kitchen table deck. That's why Magic is fun, right? You just get to kind of build whatever you want. So uh, big summary answer. Do what you have the most fun in and then kind of wade deeper into the formats as you get more and more knowledgeable about the game, interactions, cards, and all that. Yeah, I think that's a great way to sum it up. So, on to our main topic here. Today is our last episode before we get to our Midnight Hunt format breakdown, right? The set releases on Arena next week, and we thought it'd be fun to tackle a few topics on our minds before we get to that point, right? So, one of those things is the Midnight Hunt, Midnight Hunt spoilers we've had thus far. So, we're going to talk about some of those. Mostly just a few cards that we've both found really exciting out of the, the recent spoilers. And then, of course, Ben, I couldn't keep him from talking about the Tinkerer's Cube, so we're going to talk about that as well. Get it? Game Cube. We talk some game, we then talk some cube. Game Cube. Eh? You're an and awful the, human being. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I, I thought it was pretty funny. We don't actually get to talk about rares and mythics that often on the show. We do the whole breakdown, but we really focus on the cards that are important for draft, which are the commons and uncommons. So I thought it'd be fun if we just kind of went over some of our favorite rares and mythics that have been spoiled so far. I'll kick it off. Hostile, hostile. 
<laughs> just so the funniest good. thing. <laughs> the funniest card in the set. And then it comes creeping in. <laughs> That's absolutely so good. Anyway, this is a land for those that haven't seen. So Mythic, it taps to add colorless. It doesn't come in tapped or anything, so that's good. You can pay one, tap it, sacrifice a creature to put a soul counter on hostile, hostile. Then if there are three or more soul counters on it, remove those counters, transform it, then untap it. Activate only as a sorcery. So it's a sacrifice outlet. It's a repeated sacrifice outlet, which is actually pretty funny if there's a uh, like a, an act of treason effect in this set. I guess you could make some pretty nasty steal and sack deck with this. But mostly you'll probably be sacking these, uh, what, what are they called, decayed tokens? Mm -hmm. Or other little things you have laying around? It looks like those are the main token running around for this set. Last set, it seemed to be 1-1 one, one goblins were all over the place. This set looks like we'll have 2-2 two, two decayed zombies everywhere. Yeah, the trouble with the decayed zombies, though, is that they sack themselves after combat, right? At the end of combat, so you wouldn't be able to use this, right? You can only activate this as a sorcery, so you wouldn't be able to use this to sack those, but... Mm. That's true. Maybe you just make some and have them laying around. They don't go away at the end of turn, right? They just kind of sit there until you attack with them? Maybe they don't. I think I think they just, at the end of the attack step, I don't actually know if they have to attack before they die. All right, tell you what, you, you look it up while I read the rest of the card. So the next half is Creeping In. Now, weirdly enough, this is a black card. I know it's a land and it's double-faced. The little symbol that comes next to it, next to where it says Artifact Creature, it's black. So sorry, you can't just put this in any commander deck. Uh, it's a horror construct. Uh, it turns into Monster House, that that like horrifically animated movie from like 2008 or something. When it attacks, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of creature cards exiled with creeping in. So presumably the first time you attack, drain for one. Second time, drain for two. Third time, drain for three. And then you can pay four and have it phase out, which is a little bit of a weird thing there it feels kind of tacked on maybe they wanted to give it a little bit of protection but keeping up four mana to phase this thing out that that's a lot this is huge though like a three seven that that's a pretty impressive pair of stats oh yeah and given that you can phase it out at instant speed if you happen to have that extra mana available it's going to be pretty hard to deal with and if your opponent can't deal with it you're just going to be draining them every single turn for more and more so it seems pretty decent. I do have the lowdown on Decade. Decade says that the creature can't block, and when it attacks, sack it at the end of combat. So yes, you can just leave them sitting around, and they won't go away. Good to know. So this thing is, uh, I'm not going to be the first person or the last person to make this joke, but man, this thing's a house. <laughs> I hate you. Right, what's your first card? So I think I would be remiss to not mention my good spooky boy, number one here, Spectral Adversary. This is the blue mythic from the mythic cycle of cards that have this weird sort of ETB multi-kicker effect that, that we're seeing. There's a cycle of them, one in each color, and I'm so happy that they printed a really good spirit here because for those that don't know, Spirits is my pet modern deck. It's just, I, I love I love spirits in this game. So Spectral Adversary is one in a blue for a 2-1 spirit creature at mythic. It has flash, it has flying, so it's already got two of the important pieces for a good spirit. It's cheap, actually a yeah. bunch of different pieces. It's cheap, it has flash, and it's flying. And when it enters the battlefield, you may pay one and a blue any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Spectral Adversary. And that's kind of common across all of this cycle. They all put counters on themselves, and then they do something else as well. So when you pay this cost one or more times, put that, that many plus one plus one counters on Spectral Adversary. Then up to that many other target artifacts, creatures, and or enchantments phase out 
So this is just a massive protection spell for your board. And one thing that spirits likes to do, especially in modern, is kind of go wide, right? You want to play a bunch of spirits with flash on your opponent's end step, get to your turn, attack with them all, or vile them in or whatever, attack with them all, hit for a ton of flying damage that they can't block, and that's kind of how the game wins. And then it uses some tempo mechanics through some of the other effects on the spirits to, to make sure it stays ahead. And one of the great ways to deal with it is to get a removal spell or a bunch of removal spells or a board wipe to just clear the board and then you, you kind of have to start over. Because the goal is really, as the spirits player, you're emptying your hand with vials and such and maybe keeping up a counter spell or two. So this is really great. I mean, being able to do this, it, it's nice because it's not something that you can just do. It is an ETB effect, so you can still get it off of the vial, but you do have to have all that mana available to pay. So I don't know if spirits is going to auto include this because the spirits deck doesn't tend to run very many lands you're really relying on vials to play your cards in that deck at least in modern but even still i mean for spot removal or trying like if you happen to have a ton of mana available and you can vial this in and just pay like four or six or something on the etb effect save three of your creatures two of your creatures like that that's still can be a huge deal and in, in matchups where that's going to matter so i think it's a great card very excited and the art looks fantastic they went yeah, back to like true. the a traditional like blue Innistrad style of spirit and I love it. Yeah, so I'm first of all, thank God Luris is gone because <laughs> all of these mythics would just be stupid good with Luris. I'm really surprised at this cycle. It seems like it's gonna be the chase cycle for for standard or historic or whatever you're gonna play. And like you said, a lot of these are gonna be modern playable too. This one in particular, I don't know, it could be good enough to just give spirits the kick back up to a, a pretty at least tier two maybe tier one archetype so what i'm thinking is can't you just use this to phase out your opponent's stuff and your stuff right mm -hmm. yeah yeah so, it's any targets so like if they have a pesky blocker that that actually can get in the way of your stuff or some sort of enchantment that's like weakening your stuff or any of those kinds of pieces like some of their big combo pieces and some of the other decks that require those yeah you can get rid of them too yeah, this seems great. This could, like you mentioned, blank a combo for a turn. I mean, not that if they have like a twin style combo, you can phase out one of the twin pieces and it buys you a whole turn. What I'm thinking is if they have a flying blocker, you could pay six mana total for this. Maybe they, they, they go to like kill one of your other spirits, pay six th for this total, phase out their flying blocker, save your creature, untap swing for a million in the air. It yeah. seems really strong as far as little flyer tempo type that cards go. And I love them. So I'm excited to see how this plays into a mono blue tempo as well in historic, because that's a deck that I really like. It's not been doing so well lately, but, you know, it's a deck and uh, I do like it. And this feels like a card that needs to be in that deck. So mm -hmm. now as far as limited goes, I feel like this will probably be one of the weaker ones. It seems good. Like, yeah, it's still going to be good, right? Like you'll probably use this most often to blow out like a removal spell or something, but it, it might be kind of obvious that you have it. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this actually plays. We haven't seen yet. I mean, there have been a lot of spirits spoiled, but we haven't seen yet if spirits is really going to be like a limited archetype. It's probably not from what I've seen. And it's a werewolves set, so I guess we should expect that. But I don't know that we're going to really have all these like flash flyers or maybe blue white flying will be a deck. I'm actually really hoping it is because we haven't seen like a really strong blue white flyers deck in quite some time in limited so i'm hoping that we do see that but you know i think it's still going to be enough to have like you just mentioned that whole cast it for six as your top end maybe and you phase out one of their blockers you get to protect a creature phase out two of their blockers or something and and then you're swinging for a bunch like i could see this being a huge way to end a game even if you can only pay four for it mm -hmm. and then just a two one flyer on turn two 
that's not actually that bad either. Yeah, exactly. So next up, I've got Briarbridge Tracker. Now, this is no tireless tracker, but it kind of looks like one, right? So this is two and a green for a 2-3 with Vigilance. It's a rare. It's a human scout. When it enters the battlefield, investigate. So you just get a clue. And as long as you control a token, Briarbridge Tracker gets plus 2, plus 0. Oh. So this thing essentially comes in as a 3-mana 4-3 with a clue, and it has Vigilance. I like it. I like it a lot. How much does this card make you want to keep the clue around? Like, are you incentivized not to yeah. sack the clue because you need the extra power to make this card worth playing? Or is the clue in and of itself enough to make it... I mean, it does replace itself, so I, I guess you still just don't care. But I feel like there are going to be instances where you're like, man, I really want to crack this clue and get my card. But if I do that, I'm just going to be stuck with this 2-3 that basically opens attacks for my opponent or something. Mm -hmm. I guess this is like a fixed tireless tracker. Not that tireless tracker was... <laughs> it didn't need fixing, but I guess you could look for other ways to make tokens. I mean, there'll be decayed zombies running around sure. all over the place, right? It, it seems hard not to make those. And there's even some other little investigate cards, too. But I think you'd rather have this as a 4-3. You know, a, a, a 3-mana 2-3. You get your card back to, to make it worse, to get it down to a 2-3. But a 3-mana 2-3 Vigilance, just that doesn't cut it in, right. in Modern Limited. Uh, especially not a rare if you're if you're going to be trying to pick this up highly. I think you'd probably want that that vigilance around. I don't know. Uh, I'm a little suspicious. It's a three drop with three toughness. It's good. Like this is a good card. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know. It's just not tireless tracker. This is actually one of those cards, and I think we see this more often with uncommons than we do with rares. But this is a card that makes me start to question. Like this being at rare tells me tokens are going to be everywhere. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting too, uh, you know, when I first saw, I think it was this card, it might have been one of the others, with Investigate on them, I was like, oh, weird, they're bringing Investigate back. Because a few episodes ago, I made a comment and the claim that I didn't think Investigate was going to be in this set because it doesn't really fit, right? Like, how? what are they investigating? I guess, you know, the, the day-night cycle being off, it yeah. kind of makes sense. But that was really a mechanic that came around due to the Eldrazi making their way to, to Innistrad. So I was kind of surprised. Mm -hmm. And it turns out they only printed it on five cards. And Gavin Verhey put out a post on Twitter asking, what do, what do people think about this sort of thing? Us just putting a random mechanic on cards in like a couple of cards in the set and not making... We have a keyword in the set that's hardly used. It's only on five cards. So what do you think about that? Uh, I kind of like it. It does increase the complexity of the set by a little bit. However, this is an old mechanic that's returning. So... It's not the biggest deal, especially for people that have played with it before. And they've printed other cards with Investigate and like Modern Horizons 2. So I'm okay with it. It's whatever. I think this is fine. I don't think I feel too strongly about it either way. But it does make me wonder about how they're going to continue to approach, say, set design in general in the future. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you there as well. I, I don't particularly care one way or the other. I, I recognize that it does increase the set complexity for, you know, newer... Like, if this is somebody's first set, I could see that complaint being made. But this is definitely not the most complex set we've seen in the last year and a half. So I think from that approach, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. I don't think it adds that much complexity. All right, so my second card here is Enduring Angel. This is one of the mythic angels in the set. It is two white, white, white for a 3-3 angel at mythic. It has flying... And double strike. So already a five mana three three flying double strike. Okay. All right. I'm on board. It also says that you have hexproof. So not the creature itself having hexproof, but you as the player have hexproof. Okay. More upside. Great. Where's the downside? If your life total would be reduced to zero or less, 
Instead, transform Enduring Angel, and your life total becomes three. Then, if Enduring Angel didn't transform this way, you lose the game. And basically, this is a weird way to get around, like, making copies of this thing, because it won't transform on the trigger because copies don't transform. So that's kind of why that lose the game thing isn't even in there. So you can't, like, run rampant with this and basically make it so you can't lose the game. But essentially, it's a five mana, three, three flying double strike gives you hex proof. And the first time you would die, it puts your life total three and transforms. So then the question is, what does it transform into? Well, it transforms into a creature called Angelic Enforcer. It's an angel and it's a mythic because the rarity stays the same and all. Uh, it has flying, so it loses double strike. You still have hex proof and it has star star for power and toughness. Angelic Enforcer's power and toughness are each equal to your life total. And when it attacks, double your life total. Awesome. So, <laughs> so good. Ignoring anything else, by the time it gets to Angelic Enforcer, it's a 3 3 with flying and hexproof. And when it attacks, it becomes a 6 6, and your life total doubles to 6. And, like, wait, what? <laughs> it's a good thing this side doesn't have double strike. Oh, you would just die. Uh, I love this card, and I have a feeling it's going to be the cause of some pretty wacky stories. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This looks really fun. I'm very excited to draft this. So I've noticed that uh, there's a few different things going on with Transform this time around. First of all, I've noticed that sometimes, uh, more so than they have in the past, cards will have the same line of text on both sides. Mm -hmm. I know another one, I think it's a werewolf that says, like, on both sides, pay four mana, put a 1-1 counter on it or on, on a creature. In, the, in past sets, they usually had different abilities on both sides, but I don't know if you want to call that complexity creep or, or whatever. I, I kind of like it because it's not like you're losing anything depending on what side you're on. It's just... Well, the creature's power and toughness might be a little different. This one's obviously an exception, but I like that you have hexproof on both sides because, I don't know, getting bolted <laughs> with this thing on the stack or or trying to do something nonsensical, that wouldn't be very fun. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting piece, and it's kind of cool. We've seen transform cards now, and werewolves actually more specifically, in colors that we never really saw them in before. We have like blue werewolves now and stuff. It's kind of cool. I do like that, that we have this sort of symmetry on the sides, and... Especially with this particular card. The cool thing is these transform cards tell a story between the mm. front face and the back face because this isn't really like Enduring Angel's not actually changing into a different creature. It is still the same thing. It's Angelic Enforcer, but it's still an angel. And actually in the art, you can see in the first image on Enduring Angel, there's like a broken sword in front of the angel. And on the back image for Angelic Enforcer, it's like the sword has been repaired so it's like, you know, there's a story being told here, and even though the creature itself hasn't changed, like, it's not a different creature type, it still has the same abilities, it has changed slightly, and it's, so it's kind of a cool way to uh, introduce, I guess, a variety of MDFC, because the transform triggers on these can be kind of weird. It's not just the day-night thing. In, in past sets, we've seen transform basically be, if you didn't cast so many spells, transform this thing. Yeah, I love little cards that tell stories like this. Uh, let's see, from the past sets, I think it was the Lamholt Pacifist that flips into Lamholt Butcher. It's this like kind human shaman holding uh, like a dove in her hand or something. And not only are on the back, she's like crushing the dove and like trying to eat it or something. Uh, Autumnal Gloom is another one from the past Innistrad set. One of my favorite designs of all time that represents the leaves falling on the front side. And then it flips into a tree folk on the back. Super cool, super flavorful. I noticed they did it with uh, another card in this set. I'll just shout it out real quick. I just pulled it up. Bereaved Survivor. It's similar to what we were talking about. Uh, on the front side, it's a human peasant. It's two and a white for a 2-1. Whenever another creature you control dies, flip it. 
and the arm on the front clearly is this woman mourning at a at a grave. And then on the back, Dauntless Avenger. It's a three two when it attacks. Return target creature card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking. And the flavor text fits it really well. And in this art, she's clearly uh she's gotten over her loss a little bit and has decided to go on the offensive. So I love little stories like this, and they really help make Innistrad this really compelling environment. All right, my next card that I've got up here is Slaughter Specialist. Now, I don't know if you know this one because it was spoiled around, uh, well, it was spoiled after we started recording, let's just say that. <laughs> this is one of the black for a 3-3. It's a Vampire Warrior at Rare. So you heard me right, this is a 2-mana 3-3. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent creates a 1-1 white human creature token. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Slaughter Are you Specialist. serious? This is some this is some funny stuff here. <laughs> I was like, okay, it gives your opponents a creature, so it's gonna block the first turn it attacks, and you know, it's so it kind of turns itself into a three drop, right? Because it's not actually doing anything until turn four. But then it just gets bigger. Like at what point are you just gonna have to throw serious removal at this? Because that also that first counter puts it out of the range of a lot of removal spells that are targeting three damage. And after that, it's like you're going to trade your, what, four mana kill spell for a two drop? Or, like, your big, beefy five drop creature for this two drop? Like, what, <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, yeah. This is a card that looks like it gives both players something. But the symmetry is so broken on this card already because one, it's a 3-3. Three, three, and your opponent's getting a 1-1. One, one. So, already, this thing can trade for, say, like, an attacking three or four drop. You often see four mana four threes in Modern Limited. This thing is always going to be trading with something like that. If you need it to, just don't attack with it. And don't give your opponent the chance to somehow leverage their 1-1 one, one to block it or something. Or double block it down, maybe. And at the same time, you're going to be killing their stuff. If you just have a, a kill spell up, this thing becomes a nightmare to deal with in combat. And then eventually it's going to get so far out of range that they're going to have to trade with it one for one. And then I suppose they did get, uh, I don't know, they got the 1-1 one, one of the deal. But is a 1-1 one, one going to be that big a deal in this format? I don't know. Yeah, but like if, if you had a card that was like two mana, give your opponent a 1-1, one, one, they discard their best removal spell. <laughs> you do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty good. Now, actually, something I do want to note about this, specifically for us, this does get worse into it a giant because it gives each opponent <laughs> a 1-1. One, one. Now, there are a few cards. I've noticed I, I like this design. That's why I wanted to talk about it. It, it does still trigger on both opponents' creatures dying, though. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I noticed that there's some cards that have wording that is very clearly specifically for commander. So things like each opponent rather than just like, your opponent. Uh, I couldn't name the other ones off the top of my head, but I like that. I think it's cool that they're making these very specifically good in commander, but also good in standard cards. Sometimes you see a card that's put into like a modern horizon set or modern master set or something like that. It's like, oh, you know, they gave commander players a little treat on top. But this just seems like it could be good in, in any scenario. I don't know if it's standard playable. It probably is. It's 2 mana 3-3, three, three, right? And it gets bigger uh, with efficient removal, which standard definitely has. I like this card a lot. It also just gets bigger when you trade with opponent's creatures. Like, this is going to be a card that I'm going to have trouble, I think, against. Because it's going to sit back there and I'm going to forget about it and be like, oh, that's just a 3-3. Three, three. And then I'll trade with a bunch of creatures that they swing in. Like, your opponent's still going to be aggressive when this is on the battlefield. And so, like, they're just going to swing in their stuff. All your stuff trades or eats their things and then your slaughter specialist is suddenly a six six and it's like oh <laughs> forgot yeah. about that 
And then I feel like the one one might often be more used to just chump the slaughter specialist at some point if it does get out to be that big. Like this thing can easily be the biggest thing on the battlefield. It only takes one or two things dying uh, on your opponent's side of the board. Now, notably, it is only opponents. Uh, so your stuff, if right. you're sacking stuff, doesn't count yours. But I don't know. You're going to be one of the kill your opponent stuff anyway. And at worst, you got a two mana three three. So <laughs> yeah, right. Like wow. Yeah, that's a crazy card. Really cool. My third card here is Sereth the Viper's Fang. It's two green green for a 3-4 legendary creature, Human Warlock at rare. And it says other tapped creatures you control have Death Touch, other untapped creatures you control have Hexproof, and you can pay one and tap Sereth to untap another target creature or land you control. This is a really cool card. I love the design of this like tapped untapped thing. We've seen this in the past like recently. And I am really tempted to make a, a mono green commander deck with this with this as the commander. This sounds really fun to just manipulate the tapped untapped thing and, and mm -hmm. play around with death touch and, and hexproof and then like you swing in with all your creatures, they all have death touch, then your opponent's like a uh, removal spell and you're like, untap that, it has hexproof. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. This, this is cool. This is a really unique design for a green card. Like, this is just so cooler than Texting Beast. Uh, texting Beast. Texting Beast. That's what we're going to call it now. That, that thing is just so full of text. Questing Beast is just a, a giant mythic wall of nonsense. This is a cool design. I really like how this pairs with Decayed Tokens. Because if you have a 2-2 Death Touch swinging in, you no longer have to be afraid of, like, waiting back and trying to get a good opportunity to swing in with your 2-2s. They're going to go away at the end of turn, which makes blocking with a death touch 2-2 that's going to go away at the end of turn really awkward for your opponent. Let's say you have a 2-3 on board. Your opponent swings with a 2-2 death touch thanks to this thing. It's going away at the end of the turn. Do you really want to trade your 2-3 like actual card for a 2-2 that they might have gotten off you know, some uh, extra effect? I I'm probably not blocking there. This is a really effective way to get damage in, especially with all those decayed tokens running around. Right. Yeah. And then if you're, you know, you have your actual creatures that you care about, you can give one of them at least pseudo vigilance and hexproof on the way so yeah it seems really cool i think you're probably going to want to use that like sort of at, at instant speed to save your creatures against removal spells when your opponents can't really do anything about it or otherwise i mean this is probably going to be the target of the removal spell first but yeah it's going to be interesting and then you can also use it to untap your creatures to block and i just think it's a really fun sort of way to change up the i guess status quo in combat it, it seems really really fun all right, my last card I wanted to chat about today, Moonvale Regent. Get ready, this is a wacky one. Three and a red for a 4-4 dragon with flying at Mythic. Again, I did predict accurately the type of dragon we'd be getting, those beautiful stained glass, almost wings, and that, that like pretty almost serpent-like design. Love these Innistrad dragons. So this thing says, whenever you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw a card for each of that spell's colors. Then when it dies, it deals X damage to any target, where X is the number of colors among permanents you control. Oh man, where to start with this one? Let's start with the death trigger. That's the easy one, right? So if this thing dies, and you have a bunch of red cards on board, it'll deal one damage to any target. Cool. A, a dragon that can ping down something. If you have like red and green cards on the battlefield, it'll deal two damage. If you somehow manage to get three colors, uh, that could happen. Maybe this set is the fixing for it. I saw there's a little bit of multicolor support with some kind of weird like like stone or mana rock that does it. I don't know. I, I guess we'll have to see. Uh, we haven't gotten the full spoiler quite yet. This thing will probably be able to kill something when it dies or at least ping down the opponent a, a few points of life. It's also a 4-4 four, four flyer. It's going to be pressure in their life total too. There is one way to get more than two colors while still playing a two-color deck, and that is 
a handful of the transform cards transform into a card of a different color. So there are a bunch of like oh. werewolves. You know, there's a blue green one that's blue on the casting side, but when it transforms into a werewolf, it's a green card. So you could huh. be playing it in a blue red deck, end up with some green cards on your side of the field. Probably not something you're doing reliably, but you might be able to build a deck that that uses that reliably. Who knows? So if you have multiple Moonville dragons, start looking out for those uh, <laughs> those wacky multicolored flip rares. Right, multiple <laughs> four four for four flying mythic rares. Yes. I'll send a screenshot of a deck with two of them in it. Don't worry. And then the first one, this is the weird one. When you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw a card for each of that spell's colors. So let's say you've got two cards in hand. You cast a red card. You may discard your hand, and then you would draw a card. So this is like card filtering. However, the way that it's phrased means that if your hand is empty when you cast that spell, if you cast the last card in your hand, you will discard your hand of nothing and then draw a card for each of those cards' colors. So if you cast a red-green card as the last card in your hand, you would discard your hand and then draw two cards. This is good. <laughs> that's that's a really strong late-game effect, especially if this is like the top of your curve somehow. That's going to be really solid. Yeah, it turns every card in your deck that isn't a land into a cantrip. Yeah, that's a really powerful source of card advantage for a red deck. Is this like burn playable in, in, in like historic or standard? I don't know. Uh, maybe. I, I think like four mana is probably the top end on those decks. So maybe, maybe you'll see it there. Um, and then it does obviously do the whole pinging thing when it dies. So we, we yeah. could, could maybe see it in like a big red style deck. It plays a lot like Experimental Frenzy. It does. Yeah. And the cool thing, you know, we, we had someone in the Discord mention that this card kind of feels like a plant. We know we're going back to Dominaria. And it sort of feels like we're going to get more of that. What did they call it? Converge. Whereas like uh, it was a mechanic that cared oh, about all the different yeah. colors that you're casting. So we, we could be seeing this as like a, a way to a payoff for five color or multicolor decks in constructed formats in the future. Hmm. My last card here is Dire Strain Rampage. This is one red green for a sorcery at rare. And it's a doozy. It says, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or land. If a land was destroyed this way, its controller may search their library for up to two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Otherwise, its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle, and has flashback for three red-green. Now, when you read the first line of this card, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or land, most people think about pointing this at your opponent, because it says it's destroying something. However... It's actually better to target your own stuff with this because hmm. you destroy a land, it ramps you, right? You destroy one of your own lands, you go get two lands from your library, so it puts you up a land. And then because it puts you up a land, if you play this on curve, it's a three mana card. If it puts you up a land, that puts the four on your, on turn four, you're playing your fifth land and it actually flashes back on turn four. So it like ramps huh. you and then ramps into itself, which is really fun. That is such a bizarre design. It took me a few reads to make sure I actually knew it was happening. So then it's a ramp spell that, you know, you can also use this as an assassin's trophy. Sure to, can. To blow up like a, a key artifact or enchantment. Hey, if they're about to combo you off with like a, a Vesuva or something and you need to have a, a land destruction spell in a pinch, this would work. Not that I expect this to see much play in formats right, where people right. are, are doing dark deaths shenanigans. But maybe, maybe. Right, but the thing is, as you say, it's it's a ramp, it's like a rampant growth that well, I guess it's actually better because it puts both of them on, into play tapped. But if you think about it, like a three mana ramp spell, 
with the added upside of potentially destroying one of your opponent's artifacts or enchantments when when you need it to. Like this card feels great. A lot of people were really hating on this, and I don't I don't see it. It sounds sounds pretty good. So I have a few thoughts. First of all, this is a way to get like five color fixing pretty quickly, right? Yes. If you can get red red green to cast this, you can just go blow up one of your lands. It's a lot like Harrow, but you can literally have Wooburg on five with this. Wow. Because you can, That's if you have weird. red green as a base, right? You get your red green on turn three. You blow up your second mountain or whatever. Go get an island and a plains. Then next turn, play another mountain. Blow that up. Like flash this back. Blow that up and go grab your swamp. <laughs> like you can get you can get Wooburg on five with this. That is so weird. <laughs> but uh, as for limited, I don't know. This feels not exactly what you want to be doing on turn three. It's really I, I slow. Yeah, it's super slow. I haven't seen any convincing, like, seven. There's no sandworm convergence in this set. Like, no, no effect like that, where if you manage to hit X number of lands, you have this reliable way of just stabilizing the game and making sure that your opponent, anything they did was invalid because you managed to ramp that quickly. I mean, would you rather just spend turn three casting to get three, three? You probably would. We have, you're right, we haven't seen any good, especially not at uncommon or common that I can think of. We haven't seen any really good late game payoffs so mm. the question is is getting to five on four actually worth it and then spending turn four getting to seven on on five right like because basically if you use this card to its full advantage on curve you end up with seven man on turn five right do you uh, have any I, seven drops to play on turn five yeah it doesn't seem like there are any it? that are worth it yeah yeah we've seen a lot of three four and fives and just from our knowledge of how modern limited sets are made, you would probably want to make sure you play something on turn two if you're going to be doing this. I don't know. I'm not convinced. Red green is so apt to just playing a three mana three three and then a four mana four four and turning them sideways with some combat trick backup, especially because we have some sweet werewolves that could potentially be getting bigger. So they're already oversized. I think I just want to be getting my werewolves into play. Yeah, I think I should clarify in limited. I totally agree with you. I think this is going to be either very, very slow, or when you see an opponent play it, you should be worried. Because that means on five, they have something <laughs> pretty serious they're doing. Oh, yeah. If this goes into a deck, and it's, like, good in a deck, that's going to be a scary deck. <laughs> right. The other thing is, too, like, you don't always play this on three. Sometimes you draw this as your top deck later in the game, and you don't actually want a ramp spell. I guess in those situations, you just point it at an artifact or an enchantment that your opponent has, and you're still getting some value out of it. Like, you're still trading a card, and late in the game, giving your opponent a land probably doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think in Limited, this is going to have a much lower much lower floor and probably a lower ceiling than this would in Constructed. But I'm excited to see if it makes its way into Constructed at all. All right, now it's time to get to the cube portion of GameCube. So Tinkerer's Cube is live right now, and I thought it'd be good if we just chatted about it for a little bit. It's kind of the only thing to do besides AFR, which, I don't know, I'm just off AFR at this point. I don't think I'm going to be doing another one of those for a while. If you're looking for something to do that's not adventures, give Tinkerer's Cube a try. It's actually cheaper to enter than usual drafts, uh, so <laughs> that's always nice. I have found this set to be a lot of fun. So now, there's some decks that can get off to fast starts in this set, and I, I have actually seen a few wacky early kills by, like, turn 5. But most games that I've played so far turned into these late-game grind fests, where you're looking for these little two-card interactions, these synergies, these going really deep on a vector that allow you to do something busted and eventually take over the game. 
And I found that that most usually happens by going wide, although sometimes you can do a little bit of like a combo type thing too. I had one deck where, oh man, I, I was playing Teleportation Circle and Marionette Master to just make a million Marionette Master tokens, a bunch of little servos. And then uh, I made a bunch of treasures and then sacked all the treasures and then uh, attacked with all the tokens to drain my opponent out and kind of like a combo turn. So you can do a whole bunch of different weird stuff in this set. Now, some things to look out for. This can be a little bit of an intimidating set because it's so weird. Usually, if you're playing limited, you might just want to be like, oh, I'll take the best card in this pack. Now, we obviously advocate for a little more thought and intentionality than that. You want to stick to a vector, right? In this set, you really have to stick to a vector. If you just put a random 2-mana 3-3, <laughs> like our, our friend up above, in your deck, it probably won't make your deck marginally better. There is a, uh, the, the Convoke Worm, I think it was the Box Topper for one of the Ravnica sets. It's like Impervious Great Worm or something like that. It's something stupid. It's like a 9-mana 15-15 Convoke, indestructible. The key is, it's like keyword big. It's like a 15-15 like a or 20-20, doesn't matter. 16, I don't 16, think it's 1616. Yeah. It's awful in this set. I, I haven't seen it do any work at all because I have so often been able to make tokens or, you know, have an exile effect or, or anything like that. That card could be very busted in some limited sets, but in this one, it just doesn't do anything. So I recommend looking out for these key cards, these super deep vector cards. Uh, I guess you can call them the linchpins of certain decks. So token doublers like uh, Parallel Lives or the, whatever the white one is called, Anointed Possession, is that it? Mm -hmm. uh, you can get both and they can do wild things. Or uh, Divine Visitation, that's the, the five mana enchantment that makes all tokens enter the battlefield as 4-4 four, four angels with vigilance. So that's a good thing to have. Cathar's Crusade, another five mana enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield, put a 1-1 one, one counter on each creature you control. So like I mentioned, there's not a lot of wraths in this format. You can kind of go nuts as far as uh, just making a million things and making them all huge. Teleportation Circle is my favorite early pick because I believe the Blink deck is the best deck in the format. And unlike the usual Arena Cube where it tends to be Bant or Blue-White based, I've actually found it to be Obzon based. It's kind of like a green-white-black Blink deck. And there's blue Blink cards, but they're not as important. It's mainly white, and then you can supplement it with like green cards and, and black cards and the occasional blue card if you get it. So cards that are generically powerful, but have a bit of a component along your vector, these are great things to have too. Something like Old Gnawbone, the seven mana, seven, seven, whenever a creature you control deals damage to a player, make that many treasures. Found that to be a really great source of value in this set. I actually, I included a little bit of a screenshot here of a, a game that I have. Uh, I think I posted this one in the Discord already. Uh, I made over 30 treasures and I had an anointed procession out. I had a portal of sanctuary out, so I was just like bouncing a, a reclamation sage over and over again to blow up all my opponent's stuff. I had a, is it Ravenous Hydra or Voracious Hydra? The one that enters the battlefield and fights a creature. So I was blinking that and recasting it multiple times every turn to just fight down all my opponent's stuff and drawing cards off of uh, like all sorts of nonsense. I had like a million tokens and these games tend to go pretty late. So you have time to build this stuff up. Now, you can also get some other stuff for other direction decks. Uh, uh, so stuff like Cosmos Elixir, that's just, just a generically powerful card that will draw you cards, it'll gain you life, it's just good to have. The five Enter the Battlefield Elementals, I believe all of them are in this. So they all have triple pips. The green one, it's like two, green, 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 five, six with reach and you look at the top five cards, put a land into play. And then when it dies, it puts a card from your graveyard on top of your library. All those are great, especially if you can blink them. 
and being able to grind in the late game is, is pretty useful. So I found non-land permanent destruction to be pretty important too. The best cards on the board at any given time are sometimes just artifacts and enchantments. So something like Anointed Procession or just some sort of nonsense 10 mana artifact or enchantment that your opponent ramps out and it's their game plan. When these are the best cards in the set, having a way to blow those up is really effective. So something like Reclamation Sage, Knight of Autumn, these cards that ETB to blow up stuff. Uh, I think, what's the, the, the green card from AFR? One of the options is you steal its eyes. That's what I always did. <laughs> is that you find an idol, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, that's you find a set. cursed idol, I think. Yeah, that's it. So that's perfectly fine to put in your main deck too. And last but not least, I recommend picking up dual lands and fixing. Because you often want to play a, a three-color deck, maybe even with a splash. So uh, picking up uh, ETB tap lands is fine because you'll have time to actually, you know, draw them, play them. The, the, the Vivid cycle is in this set, which I love. I'll pick those up pretty highly. And as we mentioned earlier in our crack draft, shocks are a thing. And there's a bunch of other cycles in there too that are, that are less important. So I, I did post a bunch of screenshots and I'd be happy to post some of my draft logs in the Discord. But my first three drafts, all three of them, I played Amazon ETB and all three of them I trophied. And it was a really good time. So uh, I, I included another screenshot down here. I set up a lock where I had teleportation circle. So flickering a thing at the, my, each of my end steps. I had Cavalier of Dawn. That's one of the ETB elementals I was saying. It's a 4-6. You blow up one of your opponent's non-land permanents and they get a 3-3 artifact golem. I also had a Reclamation Sage. So with those two in, in tangent... Uh, every other turn, I was killing one of those things. I would flicker Cavalier to turn one of those things into a 3-3 Golem, and then I would flicker Rex Sage to blow it up. And that just was unbeatable for my poor red opponent on the other side of the board. Uh, that sounds like gas. Yeah, so I highly recommend this format. I'm probably going to fire it up until Midnight Hunt comes out. It's been really fun, uh, and I don't plan on stopping. I will say some of the other archetypes are a little bit underpowered. I tried the blue-green big stuff, wasn't super impressed. I tried Black Green Death Touch, which is a really interesting archetype. It actually has a lot more support than I would have expected. Still not that great. It plays a very fair game. And you can do some pretty busted stuff with these cards that make a million tokens or generate a million mana or that kind of thing. So I recommend giving a shot. Try going deep on something silly and uh, just see how it goes. Awesome. Well, that about does it for us. Thanks so much for listening. Again, Check out the Discord if you haven't already. We are really ramping up with all the Midnight Hunt stuff, and we're going to be excited to start seeing trophy decks and who gets the first trophy deck in the Discord and such. We always have a fun time with that at the beginning of every set. So check that out. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on the Twitter page. And of course, once again, if you're interested in supporting us directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We really do appreciate it, and it keeps us doing this week in and week out. So thank you all for your support there. If you want to find us outside of the Discord, you can do so on Twitter by finding me at Rannick Alfredian. You can find Ben at Betafish1 and the podcast directly at DraftChaffPod. Thanks, folks. Talk to you next week, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be breaking right into Midnight Hunt. See you then. All right, so with Cube on our mind, just wanted to chat a little bit about our Cube, the DraftChaff Cube, which, honestly, it's been pretty tough to, to keep up to date on this thing. I think COVID has kind of gotten the, the best of us with this one because th this has really made us hard to get us and a bunch of people together to actually play it <laughs> uh, and get a lot of practice in with it. That being said, we've done a bunch of practice online and, and that's felt pretty great too. 
So we need some updates from Strixhaven, D&D, and potentially Modern Horizons 2, if we're, we're feeling spicy, like including some of that draft chaff. So again, for those that are, that are new, uh, what is our cube, Zach? Right, so we created a draft chaff cube, which in completely entails cards from limited formats of old and new, and just draft chaff cards, just cards that basically never broke into constructed formats, but were decent in their limited formats, or either even very good in their limited formats, respectively. And uh, even if they did potentially break into to constructed at some point, we got a lot of flack for having the um, the aristocrat in our in our cube because oh, it's aristocrat. Yeah, because it because it did have an entire standard deck or whatever around it. That's true, but it was also a powerhouse, and it it doesn't really see play anymore in any constructed formats. So. We felt we had the liberty to, to take there to, to put it in. But that's basically it. So we try to take really fun, exciting cards from from sets uh, that never really broke into Constructed um, and are relatively niche as well. So that's about it. We have a whole bunch of different uh, archetypes that we designed the cube around. So it was a little bit more um, centered around specific archetypes. So you can check that out. We have the... Uh, we have a Cube Cobra link in the episode description every episode, so you can you can check that out if you're interested in seeing what the cube is like now. And then we also post our update logs there when we do update it. We try not to make updates to it too frequently. We do them in like sort of batches uh, with every couple sets. So um, and we try. <laughs> the last change was almost an entire over overhaul of the cube. It was like I don't know a hundred cards or fifty cards or something that we changed. Yeah, trying to keep it closer to like 10 or 15 at most every time we make changes. So, you know, we'll we'll see how that goes in the future. If anything, we could always cycle in or out an archetype like several archetypes we love, but a few others we were like, yeah, this is fine for now, but we might see if something better comes along in the future. I think uh, blue green, we never totally felt super confident about it it's a little bit loose so maybe that if, if we get some cool stuff in an upcoming set we'll do something about it but anyway i wanted to talk about some specific cards that i think we should just jam straight into the cube uh and kind of summarize things that i've been saying for the past several months but uh finally to plant my stake in the ground flame painter of free that's our, our buddy the three in a red it's uh what is it one four double strike whenever it deals combat damage to a player you can free cast an instant or sorcery from your graveyard Blue red in our cube is big instant and sorcery casts. So, you know, that's kind of perfect for it, right? Yeah, yeah. Flame Painter Free, it seems like a, an auto include almost. And along that same line, I don't think Magma Opus counts as draft shaft. That's seeing a little bit too much constructive play, but maybe something uh, like one of the uncommon versions? Uh, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I could see one of the. Um, what's the one that makes the. It makes two tokens. Oh, Elemental Masterpiece? Token. Yeah, we could, we could yeah. maybe throw that one in there. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Uh, I think Teleportation Circle probably deserves a home. It it might be a little too good, though. <laughs> I, I don't know about this. So it's definitely Draft Chaff, like 100%. But at the same time, we have a dedicated blue-white Blink deck. And it's not... It's not like Teleportation Circle, which exists in this deck that doesn't have Blink as a theme. That's why it was so much fun. It was because you could be like, oh, Teleportation Circle, I have to actively now look for things with ETB effects. Whereas in our cube, it'd be like Teleportation Circle is just a pick in the blue-white deck. So that's a very different role player. I don't know if that's something we want to try or not. What do you think? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, 
our our flicker archetype is kind of busted like we were we really had to try not to make that broken and i yeah. think teleportation circle will handily push that over the ledge it would be the best card in the deck right like in a good blue white flicker oh, yeah. deck in a bad blue white flicker deck it would be it would be the best <laughs> card too like yeah. we have a lot of really good targets for a card like this because there have been a lot of good flicker targets that were draft chat cloud, cloud blazer spire patrol like you have a oh bunch of cards God. like that rogue refiner I don't yeah. think we included Rogue Refiner in the cube, uh, but ETB draw card type effects, yeah. or um, I I don't know, like bounce effects, uh, like put put one one counters on effects. I don't know. I think it'd be really fun to put this in. Uh, this but... is one. This is one of those types of cards that is really hard to comment on because we haven't played the cube very much, in like actual mm-hmm. like with actual games and seen how these decks play out because it feels like this would really push that, that archetype over the top and a lot of the other ones wouldn't be able to deal with it, but who knows? Mm -hmm. Now, last but not least, I wanted to mention, what do you think of Eliwick? as just like a random fun green card. Yeah. Eliwick's interesting. The problem with Eliwick though, is that we don't have any other dungeon cards in the deck in in the cube. And Mm. she kind of needs that, right? Like she's not enough on her own. To be the only well, dungeon idea. She'd be bad. <laughs> that's oh, why it's sure. fun. <laughs> sure, but then nobody uh, plays her, and then it's like, why are you even here? That's a fun card. It's it's Eliwick. <laughs> I guess. I know she's one of your pet cards, so maybe we'll yeah, find yeah. a spot in there for you. Now, Modern Horizons 2 is much harder. Uh I feel like there's like what, 20, 25 or so cards that see heavy modern play that uh, are certainly not draft chaff. None of the Flicker Elementals, uh, certainly not Esper Sentinel or Sanctifier Envec, or even Harmonic Prodigy sees some play. Oh, I've got and, one for you. Yeah? Oh, I've got one. And actually, I think this could be a really cool direction to take blue-green. Oh, what's that? Glimmer Bairn. Oh. And then we turn blue-green into, like, food tokens. Oh, Wow. Blue green snacks. <laughs> yeah, because we kind of have. Wait a, a minute. Wait a we minute. We kind of have a stacks theme in one of the other archetypes, don't we? Stacks and snacks. Oh wow! Isn't there? Hold on. I'm pretty sure. Yep, there is. Dude, there's a spider, and it has morbid. Uh, if a creature died this turn, investigate. Doesn't that hit like five of our archetypes right it does. there? It's that's that's got to be an include. Yeah, for sure. It's a three five, so it fits the butts theme. Uh, black green is our spiders theme green white is our butts theme and then blue green would be tokens would this five mana three five be one of the best like cards in the cube uh it's certainly one of the most flexible and that was actually something that some of our quote-unquote focus groups like we did we did send the cube around like some reddit threads and stuff and a lot of people were telling us that the archetypes were too streamlined in our first iteration of the cube because there wasn't Mm -hmm. enough overlap between them so once you were in even remotely it had an idea that you were in a lane. You just sucked to that. And that was the deck and it didn't feel like you were drafting anything because the picks were just, they picked themselves basically. Yeah. So that spider would help with that because it it overlaps a bunch of different archetypes. Huh? But then, yeah, we do glimmer Baron and we make blue green, some sort of token food or clue, just tokens, uh, non creature tokens, I guess. Cause we do have some creep. Do we have a, we have a creature token archetype. I can't even remember. 
Uh, actually, green white overlaps with, right. with creature token. Butts is like the sub theme, but uh, go wide tokens is primary. So uh, green white could be creature tokens, and then green could uh, green blue could be tokens. <laughs> but like yeah, and maybe do something with like just random tokens, and then have a bunch of re- weird generators that are like if you have X men of clues or whatever do the thing or i don't know we'll have to make that streamlined enough that it's not so like you can't like your payoffs can't care specifically about the types of tokens you have necessarily but Uh then we could also bring in like um what was the there was one card that was like if you would make a treasure instead make a treasure a food and something else oh isn't that that's a rare right i think it's an artifact yeah Uh, there's also hear me out hard evidence it's one blue for a sorcery. Create a zero three blue crab creature. Investigate. Love it. It fits the butts. It fits the tokens. It makes two tokens, and it makes you a zero three in the in the butts deck. Bant butts is a thing, also. Uh, it's also a crab, which I feel like we're both a big fan of. Yeah. Uh, and it's a sorcery, so it works for the blue like spellslinger deck. Hold on, I, I, we gotta start writing this stuff down. <laughs> yeah, this is totally the type of thing that we would say and then just get rid of, like forget about. There's also a, a, a five mana two one called Specimen Collector, and when it ETBs, you get a one one green squirrel and a zero three crab, and then when it dies, you create a token that's a copy of target token you have. I'm in. I'm sold. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, so I think we found our new direction for blue green. 